Hello, welcome to Shoot First, Talk Later with me, Robert Gershenson. Uh, today's guest is a young filmmaker and um, I guess creative director. He has a film called Credence and it was crowdfunded. Um, we've done the shooting, now let's do the talking. Hello, Mike. Hello. Mike Bonito. Yeah. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, how do you pronounce it? Everyone pronounces it differently. How do you <laughs> pronounce it? Cause I pronounce it Bonito, but like, so I don't even... Bonito. Bonnie. Bonayuto. Bonayuto. I've always liked Bonito. Just, just too many vowels, really. Just, yeah, Mike B. Let's go with Mike <laughs> B. Mike B. Um, cool. So you, you. I mean, we 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 first start, started. We first got chatting. Yeah. Um, when you were doing the the equal marriage campaign. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, that was a long time ago, and you were going around um, getting celebrities to give their endorsements. So I think the night that I was shooting for you, you did. Um, well, we did. Uh, Hugh Grant and Darren Brown, Stephen Fry, um, and there were oh Paris Lees. Yeah, I, I can't remember any more than that. Yeah, it was like um, uh, Hugh Grant, Stephen Fry, Richard Branson, Theresa May, Nick Clegg, in his heyday. Oh, Maria Miller. Maria, Maria, Maria Miller. Like, yeah. I met up with the the guys a few days after to do that down yep. there in in Westminster. Yep. Um, and that's kind of your thing, isn't it? Sort of social campaigns. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost my thing that we've set up our own agency. Um, social change agency, Shape History. Um, the bit of a plug. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Basically, we, ne- we now work with um, charities, non-profits. Um, charities, non-profits. Uh, n- sorry. Charity. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. You're a bit distracted because you've got your dog in your hand. I have, yeah. And he's, he's like 12 weeks old, isn't he? Yeah, I thought I'd figure and get a dog. Like, I've always wanted to have another puppy in my life. So um, I figured now I'm working predominantly from home. Uh, it was a great opportunity to, to get a dog. But yeah. so Hard work, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> when people say, like, you don't get any sleep when you have a puppy, no one really prepares you for actually what you've got. Having here. no sleep. Yeah. He is adorable. He's lovely. He was just like bouncing around. We were just done. We've just done the shoot in your flat. He was literally just bouncing around all over the place. Starring role, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got him involved at one point. I think that's the whole point of what we've set up with Shape History is that you're we're empowering a whole set of people to really be flexible with their own working. So I work Mm. predominantly from home, and then I'll work sometimes from the Google office in London. Um, So we're not only able to kind of we call it not only kind of shape the history of nonprofits, charities, brand. Uh, corporate social responsibility but also sort of shape the lives of the people who work for the agency as well so they can fit it in and around their daily lives um, how big's your team then there's five people at the moment yeah. um, and then we have a growing team of like a creative community that really spans across kind of london new york toronto paris brussels oh wow um, it really is a way for people to become flexible with their working um, and still work for good causes and they work for you full time, or they're they're or everyone's freelance. Uh, so it's four, five full time, five full time, um, and then the rest of the people we bring in and out. They're called the creative community, if and when needed, if and when needed. Yeah, okay. and that's what was suitable for working, especially with social change um, causes, because you need to be flexible when working with that. And the standard agency model just doesn't work. So when you say social change, what do you actually mean? So say, for instance, a charity wants to either fundraise, grow awareness of a particular issue or grow their movement or their their, their members to mobilize around a certain issue. Then we can look about using social media, digital content, video, creative technology to actually get them to fundraise or grow a particular section of their of their membership. Okay, Um, so I mean, I know recently you were um, heading up 
the the rebranding of the the switchboard yeah so that was awesome yeah yeah that was really different because um we get sort of involved in a lot of video work and more and more we're starting to get involved in the branding up front as well of new movements that are changing and and really modernizing and and that was a great example of one that did that um so the london gay and lesbian switchboard decided to rebrand themselves as switchboard so we put together a fully integrated digital campaign with um the likes of uh, Tom Daly uh, was the heading it up and Alicia Dixon and then it empowered lots of other YouTube influencers to actually create their own content around that and they were culminated in this big event in London but it was just about raising awareness for young people to say like we're here we're, we're now called switchboard but really that doesn't mean anything what's more important is that we're not just in London we're now nationwide and we're here as a service to help and support young people who are coming out or who have the um, fear of actually being kicked out of home where did they get the funding from to go nationwide because it literally was just London wasn't it yeah I mean I wasn't involved in the fundraising uh, so I can't say okay anything for that um, but it's actually, great that they did yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think what the, the the LGBT movements are interesting because now marriage equality has kind of come to an end in the UK and we've got this amazing news that now we can all get married. It's a lot of LGBT organizations are seeing where the next battle is because the battle isn't over. Um, and I, I particularly we, we're working a lot with LGBT homelessness within Shape History to figure out kind of how can we tackle that? How can we empower young people and how can we potentially use YouTubers who have a huge audience of that uh, demographic to actually talk to them directly and I mean, the the shocking statistic, without getting too grim, is that I think it's like over sixty or seventy percent of eighteen to no, sixteen to twenty one year olds are LGBT. If there, so so sixty to seventy percent of people who are on the street between the ages of sixteen and twenty one are or do identify as LGBT, and they've been either kicked out of home or they've found it unsafe to stay at home after And they have out. no support network to help them. Yeah, and what's also fascinating <clears throat> is that they'd rather, through research that we've done with Shape, it, 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 they'd rather have a mobile phone in their hand than they would food. Really? Because the, the mobile phone is their lifeline. So we're gonna- It connects them. Yeah, we're gonna hopefully do this amazing campaign going into next year that's about kind of using that mobile technology with youtubers and and also these these really powerful text messages that they send their parents that they just get ignored and it's like it's it's interesting you say that they want a mobile i mean they obviously need food but they, it's, it's it's interesting you say they want a mobile phone more than they do food um what i notice a lot online is every single day there seems to be a new cause. There seems to be, you know, pray for Paris or yep. or pray for Syria or, or I don't know, like save a prayer or whatever, anything. Yeah, save Ferris. There's there's something new every single day. So how, as a creative agency, do you combat kind of um, charitable cause fatigue? Very good question. Um, I think because social change is becoming the buzzword, and it's a very good way for anyone to get news coverage about their certain certain product or uh, campaign you do have to come up with really innovative ideas really kind of clever ideas and actually use uh, utilize people and bring them onto the team who have their own audience so that's why we're really passionate about using youtubers as much as we can like our Callum work. like Callum like Riyadh like um, Hannah like all these really cool up-and-coming British talent uh, YouTubers who we can then 
integrate into campaigns and actually they can gain something in terms of doing something for a good cause gaining more of an audience but also the campaign can too but you touched on sort of these hashtags like pray for syria um and obviously all the other hashtags that have been coming out recently to recording this um with the tragic scenario that's happening in france and syria i think we need to be careful about using hashtags and this is my own personal opinion using hashtags and kind of jumping on the bandwagon um i think it's good for the public to do that but when brands start talking about these kind of issues they will need to be doing it in a clever way yeah or in a smart way otherwise it could come across in the in the wrong way do you feel sometimes people sit at home and they go well i've i've liked that status or i've i've written a tweet and i've i've hashtagged and they feel that's it that's that's enough they become kind of commonplace yeah, we call it click division, click in, the, division. in the industry. Yeah, yeah, it's like, or click activism, sorry. Um, the ability to just click and think that you've done something. What I actually thought was quite interesting is the uh, awareness around or the coverage around Facebook enabling people to change their profile picture to the French flag. Um, but they didn't enable it to change your profile picture to other flags or, for instance, to the Syrian flag to stand up for the Syrian people when... Um, the uh, when the uk has decided to go over and, and bomb syria um and w- what kind of stance has that put a brand as facebook and is it actually then controlling the conversation as to who we stick up for and who we don't so i don't really i, I can't say my own opinion on that because i don't really have a concrete one but i feel like it's very interesting when you look at brands and especially brands like facebook that is really kind of a media conglomerate that is becoming eventually like the the ad platform of today we're no longer going to get our advertising from tv we're going to get it from uh, facebook we're going to get it from youtube and how and what role do they play in actually putting these things together and and um and deciding kind of on what side of the fence the public stand one thing i really want to talk to you about is um i've been thinking a lot recently about how i consumed media as a kid. Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing Duran Duran at the O2 tonight. I know. Oh, wow. Stop showing off, Rob. Yeah. Stop showing off. Um, and it, it got me thinking about how I got into them and kind of how I got into Kiss as well back in the day. And this was pre-YouTube, pre-iTunes, in fact, pre the uh, iPod. Um, I would have to hunt down their CDs in um, R Price or Woolworths or secondhand stores and, and really kind of go, you know, maybe phone them up in advance and go, have you got Thank You by Duran Duran or have you got Rock and Roll Over by Kiss? I, I need that for my collection. And it made it like a hunt. It was like a game. And I, I kind of did that with comics as well. There was, a, um, there was a, a, an arc in the Superman uh, storyline sure. where a load of Kryptonians, oh, sorry, a load of aliens came to Earth to tr- put Superman on trial um, for the crimes of his ancestors. And it was called the, the Trial of Superman. And it was about 30 issues. It ran, it ran, Superman was a weekly thing then. Yeah. So, you know, it was like 30 weeks. And I, I got into comics maybe a year after that came out. So I went back, all the back issue sections, just before eBay, and started buying up those comics. Wow, okay. Going to Comic Marts on Sunday, digging through like massive boxes of like 500 comics just to find the one. Sometimes paying 10 quid for a bundle pack because I could see one issue was in there that I needed. Okay. So it was like a hunt. Nowadays, if you want to get into Duran Duran, boom, within five minutes, you go on Spotify, you've got all, all but two of their albums are on Spotify. 
how how do you think the the effects of and I imagine we're similar age, so I imagine you had a similar experience yeah. growing up. How do you think that experience has shaped you as both a, someone who consumes media, but also as a filmmaker? Yeah. Firstly, I love the casual use of the word shape. Whenever it comes up, I like to flag it because <laughs> that's the whole point we called the agency shape history. Um, so, you yeah. Can pay, you can pay me later. Yeah, little plug. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting when you look at the speed of um, the way that media facilitates uh, from sort of a consumer like us who are sitting there and we want something and we can now get it within a couple of seconds. Um, it's quite interesting, though, the way that we think of we like to think of like video and audio radio ads that kind of thing as a as a signpost to where you can get people to like an audience journey so whenever we're putting a campaign together we always think like right so these guys are going to find this so let's say it's 16 to 21 year olds and they're going to find this ad because it's been shared by Huffington Post BuzzFeed or Upworthy they're going to find it on that and they're going to click through to a landing page then we're going to learn a little bit more about it and then they're going to click potentially to share it or to actually act whether they're going to like share it and take part in a rally or to sign a petition or are they actually going to sort of sign up and actually then become more of a donor in future that kind of thing bring them into more of the agent uh, the um, organizational model um and the the distance between that and that is probably about 30 seconds whereas the journey when when we were growing up was probably around 30 days if you had to go and order it yeah so it's very interesting the speed but then that's also then instigated a, an entire new generation of they're called generation z we're called generation why we're millennials yeah. yeah and these guys are called generation z where essentially their need their speed for, for for i mean we suffer with it as well and i say suffer because i don't think it's too much of a good thing all the time to like have something on instant as soon as you want it but these guys like when they come to actually then distributing out their own content so when they're on instagram whether on snapchat they're deleting their content so they don't document their lives online the same way that we do so these are generation that don't use facebook as much and actually use instagram and snapchat as like a weekly thing where then they chop it they cut it's gone really thing. yeah because if you scroll back through my twitter you can go all the way back yeah. to my very first tweet the same with my instagram well we're a generation that love to document our lives and is that so yeah okay it's really interesting i say that i'm it. doing a bloody podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's true like like we would love to really look back and that's why we love the app like time hot because we can look back and see it but what's happened and potentially through the use of facebook marketing out to older people or the older generation what age is, are we talking about older when we're talking about our like parents age and okay. these guys parents so age. people pensioners essentially people in the 50s and 60s yes okay. and also down to like the the kind of 45 and up like okay. that kind of market because thinking about these younger people they've got parents around kind of the 40 45 mark okay on average that's only like just over 10 years older than me yeah that makes me feel old <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting how like facebook has started marketing to these older people and therefore facebook has become something like parent book where people are documented and you can look and you, your parents can kind of keep an eye on you regardless of your age and that i think has started to instigate this change where people use social media in a lot more of a rapid way like they consume media in general and they don't keep a record of their of their sort of digitals like digital i can't think of the word but yeah history digital lives yeah yeah it's it's i mean yeah that that in my head that fits 
I remember about a year ago, I saw Facebook doing advertisements on television. Yeah. And I remember telling my friends saying, why are they doing that? Don't they know we don't watch television yeah, i didn't but their even new think that do, they were yeah. going after the oldies yeah you know i say oldies, but, <laughs> you know people older than me and it makes sense because in the past i mean in the past two weeks i've had two older relatives add me and i didn't even know they were on facebook mm. and yeah i've one of them i've just done a project with um and she can barely use her computer but she's on facebook but yeah. she's on facebook she's but probably it's using great so it's enabling uh, she, I know she used an iPad a lot. She got, yeah. she got a, a MacBook Air. But it's great. It's enabling people who wouldn't normally um, interact with this kind of media to get up and interact. And totally, maybe yeah. maybe they're just going to use it for fun. Maybe they'll use it for more important things. Like they're probably does. just not like... They, they won't do anything on it apart from spy on you. Potentially. <laughs> I have a lot of privacy settings on my Facebook. You can't post anything to my wall without me approving it. Right. I just got pissed off with people people putting crap on my wall yeah um so where did you grow up where did i grow up i yeah. grew up here um so we're sitting in my apartment in woking um, which is about 20 minutes outside of london lovely um, woking lovely um the only thing really going for it is the fact that you can get into london in 20 minutes <laughs> um but also it's and the house prices are low they're lower and my family and friends are here i spent a good amount of time in new york um, I've done a bit of traveling with work and work continues to make me travel um, or allow me to be lucky enough to see some wonderful places because we work very globally. Mm. Um, but there just came a sense now where I was like, well, I want to be I want to be based where my family and friends are. And I'm able to like near airports, just get to wherever I need to get to and, and then do that as a temporary thing rather than actually thinking about living abroad or living elsewhere. And you were saying to me before that you've given up the idea of moving to New York. Yeah, I have, yeah. For now, for, for now. now. Yeah, I, I never say never, um, but I feel like I spent a, maybe the last kind of three, four years of my life as I was um, building the agency and also sort of going through a couple of other different projects, I was just like, I was I fell in love with the idea of living in New York and then and now I've kind of thought, well, it, to be honest, like I've got to come back and actually support and and be with the people who support me and then you can get out to new york you can get there in six hours it's ridiculous like and with the way that we're working at the moment there's no real need to to live in the place there i'd, I'd also go nuts because i'd be away from my family and friends yeah so you grew up around here is it quite quite a large family you're italian it's a pretty big family. Not as big as some people's. Twelve kids? Twelve kids. Uh, no, not, not that many. Uh, Tribbiani's, no? I'm, I'm half Italian. Half so Italian. So okay, my my mum's influence was like, we need to stop now. <laughs> Although I do have an 11-year-old sister. So they... they um, and you're 27. I'm 27, yeah. Wow. So they, they didn't stop for a while. So your dad's Italian? My dad's Italian. And your mum's English. English yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So is your mum like the... Not the controlling one, but does she say what's, what goes? Um, yeah, I'd say what's interesting is that my mum has become more and more Italian uh, as the years have gone on. And in fact, like when people meet my family, they don't really get that my mum's not Italian because like my dad looks English, my mum looks English, but they both act Italian. And like when we go for dinner at my place, you're going to have pasta no matter what comes to second, <laughs> you're going to have pasta. And it's, it's, I mean, she makes a mean lasagna as well. So any I, brothers and sisters? I do. Yeah. I, I've got the 11 year old sister and two yeah. brothers. Um, so my brother is 24 and to just turn 20. Uh, so, oh, so you're the oldest I am the oldest what yeah. responsibilities come with that so I'm a middle child so <laughs> do you have I, the syndrome the middle, sorry middle child syndrome well I don't know because I guess so I'm I mean thinking about 
my older sister, my younger brother, we're, we're very different people. All three of us, it's almost like we're from three different families. Um, my sister, very religious Jew, now lives in Israel. I'm gay. My brother is... Um, he, has, he has a very... He doesn't get humour. I'm the one with a sense of humour. My sister, not so much. It kind of skipped. Yeah. So, well, not skipped. It landed. I'm the only one with the... I sound like I'm bigging myself up. I don't take... I'm a, the only I don't one take, who can make people laugh. <laughs> I'm the comedian. Yeah. I'm the one who, who doesn't take anything seriously, whether my brother takes the things very seriously and very literal. Yeah. And my sister, obviously, um, she's into religion and she studied pure maths at university. She, clearly, she likes rules. I don't. And how have you found being away from your sister? Things that I don't ever remember being that close to her. Yeah. I don't think we ever had like a, like a, a proper connection. Even growing up, um, she would always play with her friends in the road and I'd play with mine. And if the groups came together, it's not like Natasha and I would interact much. So, and then, I, then obviously she got married and left home. Is there a big age gap? Two and a bit years. Oh, that's not that bad. No, it's not. It's yeah. not not big at all. Yeah. But at around the time that she was getting married and leaving, I was going to university. So it's kind of like we both left at the same time. We built new lives for each other. Yeah. And by the time I came back to London from Leeds, she was gone to Israel. Um, and I've been back about 10 years. Yeah. My brother, we probably have more in common than I have with my sister. But again, we're still very different people. I take the piss out of everything. He can't. <laughs> <laughs> Is that and, what it's like and with other changes exactly. uh, or other differences um, yeah I mean we're all different uh, each we're very different um, like how can I put it well, do they look up to you you're the big brother I don't, I don't think so actually um, and if anything like because we've had a bit of a, a mad year with the agency and also with like the likes of Credence the sci-fi film that you mentioned that we crowdfunded mm-hmm. for went we're to Leicester Square that. like yeah. that kind of stuff and my pa- my parents and my family are the ones that in the last year has, has shown me more than ever that they just like bring me right back down to earth. Like after we went to the premiere, they were just like, should we go to Pizza Express? And you're not going to say a word because <laughs> you've been talking for the last three hours like, and I'm sick of your voice. That was a, it was a, yeah, you must have been exhausted. So ex- explain what Credence is. Sure. Ex- explain how you did it. And because it, it, again, it connects to social media. It, it yeah, was quite it does, an unusual. Yeah. So we we ba- basically decided to create a film the same way that we create our campaigns that shape history, which is that using it as a, a people powered film that was gone out. We went out, we got crowdfunding for it. We raised thirty seven thousand dollars to put together the film that we then shot. We then premiered in Leicester Square in partnership with Wired magazine, um, and then and the Prince Charles. I love that place. And the beautiful Prince Charles Theatre. Yeah. Uh, and then we've just launched it on Vimeo on demand. It's climbed to one of the top uh, Vimeo on demand. Uh, the numbers been good. Thingies on uh, on uh, the homepage. Awesome. The numbers are looking very good. Yeah. We've sold in like thirty seven different countries. Some countries you'd never imagine consume LGBT um, cinema. Places have watched like it. I don't want to name names. Um, no, 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 no. But it's it's. But that's a good it, thing. If I mean, if it's, yeah. I mean, like, what would be instance, wrong about saying the names of the countries? Um, well, for instance, like Russia have got a very bad reputation when it comes to LGBT rights, but there's been a considerable considerable amount of sales of the film in Russia, which that's is great. Really, Why would yeah. you mention that? 
Well, it's 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 interesting, but I, I just want to be careful about who you kind of scrutinise as as being anti-gay. But they have clearly. Okay. Well, uh, Russia do have yeah, a. They've got a very public know, whether, anti-gay whether it, stance. Whether it's bigged up in the media to be more than it is, they do have, on some level, a you know a real, a real negative attitude towards same-sex relationships. Yeah. So for your film to have, you know, considerable success, maybe not on the same level as you know a Hollywood film, but for a short film made yeah over four days in what suffolk in, Nor- suffolk? in norfolk in norfolk yeah. you know and and to only show once in the cinema then go online it, that's a really well, great positive thing yeah what's interesting about it as well is it, when i was talking and introducing it, it you'd notice that there was a lot of other people involved so uh, premiered in partnership with wired magazine uh we then crowdfunded with over 600 people around the world like this is a film that's been generated completely people powered and Mm. launched in the same way we launched it exactly the same way um so the premise of the film is that it's the one of the first ever science fiction films to feature a same-sex couple and to really look at progressive characterization like making it more about the characters and not about the stereotypes it's about effectively a family at this end of the world scenario where they evacuate children very similar to when everyone had to evacuate their kids during the world wars or or even what's happening at the moment where people are being displaced from war um, and having to be separated from their kids it's a real kind of unfortunately it's a real human situation that humans find themselves in and it's not about just being a certain sexuality it just so happens that the the parents in the film are gay um, and i think that has been one of the biggest drivers behind the entire project and actually surprisingly so um what people have come away with to being as uh it's really touched them in that way that they that i mean it was um a friend of mine who watched the film at the premiere and she turned around and she was like i kind of forgot that they were gay um and with, with all the best intentions at heart like what she, i think what she was meaning is and what she was telling me is that essentially it was about the story and that's the whole point. Um, and too often was, I think we see... Was seen... that a reaction because you weren't seeing that sort of treatment in other films? Yes. Uh, but actually it's had a negative... It, some people have seen it as a negative. Like they, really? Yeah, they've kind of... They, um, I can't remember the publication, but one of the reviews said that we'd straightwashed a um, gay film and basically created characters that were so non-gay that they actually became straight, which I thought was quite... Um, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion and that's the beauty of cinema. Some opinions are bullshit, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the whole point. Like, you can't can't straightwash gay characters. They are gay. They're just not falling into the stereotypes that you often see. I mean, the shower scene, we cut it because it was a bit too much. No, we didn't shoot a shower scene. But at one point, we were like, should we shoot a shower scene? Should we shoot a shower scene? Can you say it? (laughs) Can you say it and shoot it? Um, What films did you grow up on? Uh, really good question. Uh, there are a couple of real amazing films which uh, I think have influenced my work. Uh, if you look at a lot of Disney films, it's really stupid to say, but Disney, I think, is the way that they really capture an emotion. If you ever watch the ending of Pocahontas, like there's no speaking throughout the last kind of five minutes of the film. I've never seen Pocahontas, uh, and I tend to stay away from Disney that's not Pixar, except the early Walt Disney hand-drawn ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they are phenomenal but kind of you know the second golden era little mermaid and on i've seen so many times and you know it's done but they're very good the, the, at the heart of disney is just great storytelling yeah 
Um, so is is the, is it that storytelling that was kind of? I just loved it as a kid, and I think it's really. Uh, I like to look back at it even now. I'm older to be like this is what uh, the kind of way that I want to tell stories to make it so accessible. You don't even need to use speaking in half of the films. Um, well, films I mean, are visual mediums. Yeah, so and look at the the beginning of Wally, like the that Disney the, the film. The first forty five minutes is yeah, a, yeah. It's a silent film. Yeah, Have brilliant. you seen Bridge of Spies yet? I haven't. No. First ten minutes, no dialogue. No way. Yeah, I have to check it out. Yeah, um, I was really surprised because I've kind of well. I'm like you, I'm a kid of the 80s. We grew up, we are Spielberg's children in terms of cinema. Everything that we like, you know, he's had a finger in. Um, Even, you know, Back to the Future, The Goonies, uh, Batteries Not Included. Yeah. He hasn't directed them, but he had a hand in them, Poltergeist. So I kind of have a, a weird relationship with Spielberg now. And I sound like, I sound like a stalker because I've never met him and he doesn't know who I exist. But in terms of my relationship to his cinema over the past 10 years i think he's kind of lost his way i okay. when i was watching bridge of spies the other night i turned to my mate afterwards and i says what do you think of that and he goes that was amazing and it was nice to get that reaction from someone who he was born in 91 so he wouldn't have grown up with the same kind of films i think the 80s is spielberg's period Era, yeah. that's that's he, you know, he came to four in the seventies, but the eighties is when he really, uh, he he kind of grabbed a generation and said, "This is me. This totally, is, this yeah. is my time." So Michael hasn't grown up with that, but it's nice that he he's able to take Spielberg as just the guy who made that film that I just saw. Now, my opinion was, I miss the days of ET. I miss yeah. his inventive filmmaking. Yeah, his 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 visual flair. There was that there was that film that came out um that was Spielberg either produced or directed, um that was uh thirty oh, five million oh, I can't remember the name of it. I'm gonna be shocked because I can't remember the name of it. Um <laughs> What did he direct it or Super Eight. Super Eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He produced it and that was JJ's I say like I know him. Yeah. JJ Abrams like yeah, JJ. second film. Yeah, you know, JJ. So he made it in the style of, of a Spielberg film. It was he, like a whimsy. Yeah, and he it was so E.T. in the way that it, it used the characters of the kids to really tell the story, which yeah. is I love when they do that in films and it always kind of harks back to that E.T. era. But The Goonies, same thing. Yeah, but there was something missing. In the Goonies. With, with, no, it was Super 8. There was just something missing again. It was just too I don't know if it was overproduced or it was just... I mean, the ending is just... I don't want to spoil it, so I won't, but it's I'll just... spoilers. It's been out for eight years. If they haven't seen it, fuck them. It's just... It doesn't reach out and grab you on a human level. It was too kind of CGI'd um, out there. And, and in fact, when you when you ask kind of what films I grew up on, the other film that I loved uh, growing up as a kid, uh, when I was a little older, like early teen, was uh, Contact with Jodie Foster. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it, um, but... Um, it's, it's about a, uh, messages from space. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's I, I love that kind of science fiction. It's like human science fiction. It's it's the science fiction that is on the peripheral. It's on the edge of the story, and really at the heart of it is a story of a little girl who's lost her dad, and she, in certain aspects, makes contact again, and 
it, that's the human story. Like that's what people attach themselves onto. Whether the fact that she's receiving messages from space and that she's an astro, uh, she, she becomes an astronaut and blah 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 blah. That's all, or a space traveler. Like that is all on the edge of what really is a story between a daughter and her. Uh, sorry, a, a father and his daughter. Uh, and that's what I've tried to emulate naturally really i'm inspired by that kind of stuff with with the likes of credence because it's just a story about a family and they're having to say goodbye and evacuate their kids and all the science fiction is on the edge of it which is a pretty sorry i know you can see you're like edging to talk so i'm I'm, I'm, Um, I'm loving hearing this which is a pretty i think bold move because it's not playing into the hands of the sci-fi lovers and at the same time it's not playing into the hands of the lgbt cinema lovers and it could be rejected from some of those two different camps but what we've seen so far is that actually it's been accepted by not only those two camps but also the mainstream audience the fact we've got wired magazine actually supporting the film on numerous times wired magazine is literally the only physical magazine that i buy it's the only magazine i have a subscription to i think what they're doing is phenomenal yeah imprint and online imprint but they've just expanded on on what they're doing online but in terms of the design they will take the idea of what the the article is about and then present it in a way that relates to the the story yeah it's it's wonderful yeah i think vice are doing a good job as well with their video content um their editorial content i don't know i'm not too sure about <laughs> some of the editorial is brilliant but then they've got that click to click division stuff going on where it's like if you ever you'd never imagine if something happened to you that this 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 and this oh, yeah. click here. this woman bought a baby and you'll never guess what happened yeah um i think i'm too i don't think i'm cool enough for vice um so occasionally stuff for vice will will come my way i think recently i just watched uh, eagles of death metal chat about what happened at the batter clan <laughs> That was on Vice. Really? Yeah. Um, but I'm into the band, so it was, it was going to come to yeah, me yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you go from being um, a little Italian kid watching films to wanting to be a filmmaker? Uh, I never wanted to make a film. Uh, I wanted to create content or create video uh, to create change. And that's what really inspired i think to create the film um so I mean, you were I mean, doing you were doing films before you did homecoming yeah but did. they're not films they're they're short three minute little pieces that explain an issue or a social change element and then they explain explain it in an emotional way in a storytelling way that get people to click and actually take action which yes yeah, started the homecoming equal marriage campaign did it for adoption rights in europe we've done one for police brutality in the US and that's what started us creating the agency where we're now working with like the Terence Higgins Trust, um, Macmillan Cancer Care, the United Nations, we're working with them in the Office of Human Rights, um, UNESCO, like all these big players. It started from that core element of wanting to create content that emotionally engages someone. I kind of just fell into creating this film like I wanted to tell this story. I found a bunch of people through talking about it who wanted to tell the story too and we just got together and created it. And it's been a lesson learning experience. It's, I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud of what the team was able to achieve on such a very tight budget for the kind of film that we were creating. Um, I'd love to create now a feature film, either on the similar lines or different. But again, very kind of people funded, people driven, because you, then you've got a guaranteed audience for it. 
Um, so it's been really interesting. I can see where people create short films first to kind of make all their mistakes, learn a bit before they then go on to a feature film. And the biggest lesson of all was that features or shooting a film in general is very is much more similar to um, my history. Like I've got a theatrical history. I used to do theatre. It's much more similar to that than it is creating an advert. Like creating an advert, it's all artificial. You you cut, you you shoot and cut for five seconds at a time. Whereas you you've got a good sort of five minute scene that you just roll. And it's very, you block it out much like you do on the stage. Like, and that surprised me. I felt like, oh, I'm getting back into my kind of theatrical roots with doing this too, which was awesome. And something you don't get when you're creating a 30 second or two minute advert. You often say to me um, that you want to change the world. Where does that come from, Michael? I think that uh, I've always had this stupid ambition to not follow the rules or to learn enough of the rules so I can then go break them and then sort it out myself. I mean, how many people are actually happy working a nine to five? If you finish what you're doing at 2.30, why are you still sitting there till 5.30? Don't need to sit in two hours worth of traffic to get home at 8.30, I can't count, um, and (laughs) then have to like cook for yourself. You've got no evening left, like you don't have a life. Um, and through kind of doing this kind of work, I found a lot of other people who were striving to kind of do new things. And there's the whole new startup era, which is so fascinating and cool. And maybe I've read a lot as well. It comes down to like being a millennial, like millennials grew up being told they could be whatever they want to be. But whilst a lot of millennials are actually unhappy with where they've ended up because they've been told their whole life, you can do whatever you want. You can reach for the stars and and they end up in a, a job that they're not really happy in. The whole way through, I've decided never to settle, never to settle until I'm helping myself and other people reach their full potential. And it is it is, um, yeah, that's my ambition. Yeah. So I, the whole idea with shape history is you can change the world, not only outside and you can go and work for amazing causes or even brands that are doing really cool stuff with their corporate social responsibility. You can also change the world for yourself and you can shape work around you. Um, and what we've demonstrated is it's possible. Do you think it's important to live a authentic life and how difficult is it to actually do that? It's very difficult to live an authentic life because people have a um, a preempt. Um, th- it's very difficult to live a preemptive life because people like to give off a a sense of who they think they should be rather than who they truly are. Um, so I worked at a huge, huge agency up in London and New York. Uh, and I found myself kind of falling into the same traps that many people fall when you work in a big agency. You have to put on this persona that you are kind of in control or and, and you're, you're kind of, it's just this, this inherent kind of lack of integrity, which a lot of people fall into in the kind of working world and also in, of, in world in general. So like, there's a lot of lies or, or people... It's not lies, it's they just lying? like, they're just not living their authentic self. Like they're not... Um, they're just not doing exactly what they want to do. They're compromising and they're settling for things that they think are going to get them ahead. But actually... Are they conscious of this? Were you conscious? I was conscious of it. What Um, were you settling for? uh, Just comfort. It's very comfortable working in in a safe environment where you've got a big agency to protect you. And there's you're talking financial or... Financially, creatively, everything. But, But, like, physical comfort. But... What's interesting is that 
if you ask, and there's nothing wrong with that if people want to do that, but if you ask the majority of people working for other people at the moment, I'd say a good 60, 70% of them are going to say that they're unhappy, especially millennials who I said have been grown up in this era that you can be whoever you want to be. Um, and what's interesting is if you just have the guts, and it took me a long time, but if you just have the guts to break away and do your own thing, which hopefully Shape History is enabling other people to do, like all the people we take on, we take them on in a very kind of flexible way, right? they are staff, but they have flexible time and they want to set up something on the side, they can, like it's very flexible because it's enabling people. Maybe people only stay with our agency for three, four years before they go and set up their own, but there's no problem with that. And it's a really different way of thinking. Um, it is that, that's, it's quite a phenomenal way of thinking in this as I progress into sort of photography and video, I'm finding more and more that um, I'm meeting people who are very open to not being competitive. Yeah. And I, I try as much as possible not to be competitive, not to think, well, I can't help that person with that, that Photoshop problem or that Lightroom problem because then they're going to take jobs away from me. You, I don't think you can. I just don't think you can have that opinion. Um, Half the work that we win at Shape History is all through collaboration and referrals. Yeah, open source. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to do that. Otherwise, you just don't get anywhere. No, you can't. I mean, if you think of how many uh, potential jobs there are out there, uh, and not just jobs but opportunities, mm. and then you think of how many people who are actually willing to actually put in the work to win them, there's no competition. Like it's all collaboration. If for the, of the people who want it the most, um, and other people need a bit more kind of coaching to kind of help them push into that kind of environment. But um, yeah, you're, you're spot on. You're spot on. It's very similar to, have you ever read in, uh, Creativity Incorporated? Yeah. It's a wonderful book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very similar to the, the culture at Pixar where it's literally, if you want to do something, we're Go going to it. help you yeah, do it. Yeah. If, if you want to do it outside of Pixar, then, you know, that's the best place for you. We'll support you with that. It's not a case of you have to help the mothership. It's a case of you've got to help yourself. But obviously, you know, don't pull us down. But, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Mm. Well, the number of agencies I worked for in the past where I was doing a bit of shooting on the weekend and they didn't even let me borrow the equipment. It's like I give you nine to five, often six till ten every day monday to friday they were fine for you to do oh i see you yeah. give them yeah i give them all that time they can't give me a camera for the weekend it's like it's just this mentality that needs to change so and there are amazing startups normally in the tech usually sorry in the tech uh sector that is using that is uh, adapting to this new way of thinking this remote way of thinking um i mean the number of people I think who uh, would be a bit scared about going into the likes of kind of cancer research or Macmillan and saying we're a remote agency half the time we work from our bedrooms like <laughs> so half the people would be like you can't say that it's like well they all love it like they love the fact that actually I mean the United Nations love the fact that we can pick up go over to New York and work from their office as a member of their team rather than being like 3,000 miles away in an office in London it doesn't mean anything to them you don't you don't hire a, a base office do you we don't no no, no. we don't have There's a base office no point we, we work uh, quite frequently from the Google campus in London mm. uh, and also the campuses around the world but 
we have this very flexible way of working where and like apps coming out of our ears that kind of track where people are not track but like oh yeah Alex he's in Brussels today or oh, Ellie she's up north or you know what I mean like just so it makes sense of just kind of where area, everyone is the north yes the north <laughs> north of London <laughs> um, so what, what what's going to happen with you know in the next let's say 12 months what's the projection uh, look like question uh, so got a couple of projects on the way that's personal to shape history to help us um, really establish ourselves, but to keep winning really exciting work, um, winning bigger work um, for bigger organisations and charities. Winning. It's it's almost well, like it's, it, it is winning. You, you've got to you got to fight to get these things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a good like thirty percent of our time of the team's time is coming up with ways that we can actually get this get this amazing opportunities in. And be working on these things because if we don't, then someone else will. Um, and what we want to do is then enable uh, people who come in through the creative community to then in 12 months time either join the team or help them actually set up their own agency. So maybe someone wants to set up a graphic design agency and help them grow at the same time as helping us grow. Because it's all about, without being cliche, help shaping history of the people who work with us rather than just the people we work for. Um, so yeah, take on more uh, bigger, bigger work and more exciting work um, cross platforms. So not just video, but also like the likes of uh, VR, like virtual reality, Google Cardboard, that kind of stuff. How we can use that to bring people Google in. Google Cardboard. Yeah, Google. It's like goggles that you you wear made of cardboard, and you put in a, a Samsung phone or a, a Apple iPhone, and it works as virtual reality. So you turn to the left, you turn to the right, up and down, and it. As it for games or for anything. For anything. And I watched. I went to the UN um, two months ago, and they were giving out these things that uh, Google Cardboard that put you in the middle of uh, the African Ebola crisis. And you literally were there and you were transported into the, the, a mum burying her son or um, then she took you to the village where all of the houses were empty. And it, it made me cry. And, it, and, and you forgot exactly, you forgot you were standing in the middle of a conference room in the how, UN. How immersive can that be? Amazingly immersive. Really? Yeah, you, you'd be surprised when your eyes and your ears are following everything, <laughs> you forget where you are. I forgot. You know you're standing where you're standing, but you don't know what direction you're standing in or sitting in. I think because when people say virtual reality to me, I just think of lawnmower man. <laughs> I think yeah. you know the '80s and the '90s. You know, like in arcades, you put the big old thing on your head and you know, it's a shoot 'em up. But virtual reality has has moved on so much. Yeah, it's awesome. It really is, and it's only going to get better with the likes of these. Um, I think there's a camera coming out with Canon or GoPro that is enabling people to do 360 filming. Oh wow. Um, so they can take it places and, yeah. and do it a lot more easier because now you have to stitch it together, yeah, which yeah, is a li- yeah, which is a bit messy in places. But it's only going to get better, so we want to do more and more of that. Um, and also, like I, we've got ideas about kind of turning Credence with its success into a feature film. I'm questioning how much of my life I want to sew into another <laughs> another project that's going to eat my time. But um, lots of stuff like uh, half the team want to write help write a book. We want to write a book about kind of helping young people get onto um, jobs that they enjoy and and as I said, shaping history for themselves as well as other people. Um, so we've got that project going on. Um, what about there's lots. any personal goals outside personal of work? Goals. Uh, well, I'm a bit of a workaholic as we all are, um, but that's part of the goal is to stop being too much of a workaholic have a work and life separation um personal goals uh i want to 
Um, <laughs> is, is it, <laughs> Do you work that much? You don't have any personal goals? No, I have. Well, yeah, I, I, I want to get a house eventually. Um, is that important to have something like that? Yeah, not a house. I want an apartment. Um, but I've been renting now since I left home. And I think it's ready to, I'm ready to kind of actually be based somewhere. Yeah. Um, I'm such a like, I'm such a, uh, I don't know what the word is. Like, hermit? No, 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 no. L- the opposite of a hermit. Oh. Like I just a hate Roma. to be like put in, uh, yeah, like a nomadic like life. Yeah. Like I love it. Like I hate to be based in just one place. Oh. It terrifies me. Um, so the ability to, the, the, the kind of concept of, oh, let's buy this here and like put an anchor down. You feel that that'll be it forever. It fills me for dread. Yeah. Really? But actually like if you, if you want to travel, you want to move, you just but rent you it out. Put you your shit. What shit? We're sitting in an empty room. (laughs) (laughs) Your chairs, your dog. Yeah. This massive wine glass filled with baubles by my head. Yeah, well, fuck having a tree. Why not have a wine glass? (laughs) Oh, this is your Christmas tree? That's the Christmas tree, yeah. Oh, I didn't get that. I just assumed you had some tut left over and this was the only place you could store it. No, 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 no. Yeah, I think it's uh, this personal goal is I want to like just focus more on private life and, and enjoying weekends and... And also, like, it's interesting when you when you run a company, like it's a different way of working to when you run when you work for a company, because when you work for a company, you kind of clock in and off. I know, like often you don't, and you're working late or blah blah blah. But when you run a company, it's a different way of. It's not time based. It's more about kind of where you can put your efforts to make sure that other things are happening. So you're managing, in a way, but also like having the guts to like pop to Sainsbury's at 2 p.m. in the afternoon for an hour and the whole thing's not going to collapse because, of course, you have built this team of people who are so amazing and talented mm. that they can carry it for the next two years without you doing a single thing. But your job is to actually not just keep it going straight but actually keep it going up. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really different way of thinking that I'm only just starting to learn more and do more you, about. Do you ever get moments where you think, I, I've made a mistake, I literally can't do no. this? Never. You don't? Never, never. Really? I've never even felt the fear. Really? Yeah. Even when I quit my job and um, we'd managed to be really uh, lucky and get some angel investment to kick us off, um, that gave me the confidence to step away from my job because I knew that I could pay people uh, to do a job. But I've never felt fear. I've I've felt fearful of not feeling fearful. I'm like, why do I not feel scared right now? Because I'm risking a lot. But you never get that little voice in your head saying, nah, you can't do this. What are you doing, mate? Come on, you're a failure. No, uh, I did for a while. In fact, I, I wrote about it a little bit when I um, got my first job because uh, I met this really insightful person at my first job and they were talking about um, the, the thing they called the monkey in the box. It's a really obscure uh, analogy, but it's your little... Yeah, we've all got your little Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have this voice inside you that will tell you not to do stuff or to be fearful or afraid. And actually what that is, is your comfort zone. It's the monkey in the box. And what you need to do, this person was telling me, and it's so right, is you just need to respect the monkey. You know he's there. You know he's in the box. And nine times out of ten, he'll be there. And sometimes you let him out to like run around a bit. But you just respect him and you're like, okay, cool. That's my comfort zone. But if I just ignore you and actually get on with my life, you can achieve so much more. Um, And then you find so many other people who want to help you. Like I never knew there was such a thing as like venture capitalism and which is where people invest in your company or angel investment where they invest as a single person. And then there's great schemes for the government that allow that investor to get 50% off 
their tax return for next year, which makes it really cost effective and incentivized for them to do it. How do you learn all this? You just step out. You just yeah. step out and you you talk to people. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, but you then realize there is a whole host of people who are there ready to help you um, if you only have the guts to just just jump and do it. Um, but it does take a while. I spoke to so many people like before I set up the agency and they were like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I was like, no, <laughs> um, but yeah. Cause you were so comfortable with, with your other You're jobs and, and the finance. You're and... comfortable. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I'm going to end on a quiz. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. I, love, I love quizzes, love games. Um, and it's all based around shape history. Nice. Yeah. So you, you should be able to get these answers. Keeping the, keeping the pun. Oh, not the pun. Keeping the plugs in play. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, how much money did Sony spend on promoting Michael Jackson's history album? Is this is this is post his death? This is post what? Post his death? No, the history was ninety five. Was oh, that ninety five? Like big, oh god, I'm terrible. Yeah, That's he awful. Did the, it was like side one was greatest hits, and then side two was the album. Jeez, like really? the new oh one. god. Um, they spent. Oh, and this they, is the 90s, remember? Yeah, so you, it's, it's like going to be less. Probably 50,000. 80,000? 80,000. $80,000. $30 million. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were close. Yeah. Um, how many calories are there in the Shape Bio Yogurt? Oh, uh, there are 350 calories. 63. Oh, you I'm really, I'm, know, I'm really bad with You numbers. know nothing about shape history. <laughs> um, Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe is the headquarters of what organization? Say again. Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe is the headquarters, is headquarters of what organization? Well, the one you just said. No. Supreme Headquarters Allied. I think you've worked with them. The UN? NATO. You not work with NATO? No, I haven't worked with oh, NATO. Oh, okay. Maybe one day you will. Yeah. Um, Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Mystique from X-Men yeah. and the Terraform from Red Dwarf are all what? Do you know? Mutants? No. They're shapeshifters. Everything's oh. to do with shape history. Oh, sorry. You know what? I'm really shit at this. <laughs> God. You could have given me a bit of a clue. Jeez. I did. I told you at the start. Everything's about shape history. Okay, right. Okay. So <laughs> let's go on then. <laughs> Next one. Um, how do you want to be remembered in history? That's not a quiz. That's just a question. That is a question. Uh, how do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for helping other people. Yeah. Which is ironically what my surname means. Brunato. Yeah, it means good help. Really? Yeah. Say it again. Bonayuto. Bonnie. Bonayuto. Bona or Bono. Bonayuto. Bona is good. And then Ayuto is help. Ayuto. Yep. Bonayuto. Yeah. Bonito. Bonito. Mike B. That's why I've got you on my phone. Doctor surgery. <laughs> Can Mister Bonito please go? Oh, I get. I get the worst. I get. I get called Gershwin. Gershinon. Can you? Can you even look at the paper and see what you're reading? Um how was the photo shoot before, by the way? Because I've shot you before. Yeah, And you awesome. were nervous the last time. Yeah, I wasn't nervous this time. I think it was a lot more uh, informal and just relaxed, which was pretty cool. I was also wearing my own clothes, which is better than like... The fashion stuff we had before. Just stuff that I'm just not comfortable in. Yeah. Um, we'll just see how they see how they turn out. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, especially because we've got the little dog involved as well. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. 
it helps that it was at your own place. Yeah, you just yeah. feel a little bit more relaxed and um but yeah, it's, it's it's always good. It's a again like step outside your comfort zone and, and do something that you're not naturally. I don't really feel very natural in front of the camera. I don't. I feel better. Yeah. I don't. Never. Never am I in front of the camera. Even at like, even like at, at friends gatherings, and I've got my camera with me, or people have got iPhones. I stay out of the way. Yeah. I can't bear it. You have to put. I was talking to you about this last photo shoot. You have to put a lot of trust in people like you who yeah. are the photographer. Uh, and I think that's what I, I told myself this time. Whereas last time I was a bit like, why is he asking me to do this? Like, is he going to make me look stupid? And then you trust the person after a while. And mm. then you're like, no, they're not. They're there to I think it would help me a lot. Because I, 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 I never really appreciate that people... But I mean, I realize, I know they, they put a lot of trust in me, but I, I don't think I fully appreciate it. So I think maybe I need to you know, speak to a few of my mate photographers. And even people I don't know, just say photograph me i need to know what it's like on that side of the lens because yeah, it, it is it is scary when someone's you know they've got the lights up or even even today i was just shooting you with a flash gun little one on top of the camera but when that lens is pointing at you you kind of you become very self-conscious don't you and you start uh sort of second guessing how you're sitting mm. and where do i put my hands and is my eye doing something weird what's my face doing yeah. do i look like a twat <laughs> it's horrible isn't it because you you're under scrutiny it is, yeah. But you just have to, like, I took a little look after we did the photo shoot and yeah. I was just a bit like, okay, I'm just going to leave it there. Like, well, I was half expecting to go, can we delete this one? No, 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 no. Literally, like, like, it's, part no, of the tr- it's part of the trust. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 the, well, the photos I think it helps you've seen a lot of my work and you know you know my style. Yeah. So I think you, you, you were looking at the back of the camera. I think you already know what kind of style I might go for. Yeah, yeah. And even yesterday, you you text me saying I really like this. Yeah, and you sent me some stuff on my site. Um, cool. So let's wrap it up because you got to get to the BFI and I've got to get home. Yeah, sure. And then to the O2 because did, did I mention I'm seeing Duran Duran? I, I think I I'm showing off again. I don't think you did. <laughs> Do you want to say it again? <laughs> um, I'm going to go see Spandau Ballet tonight. Um, Mike, thank you very much. That's all right, mate. Um, it's always good. What's the website, by the way? Go and do a plug. Shapehistory.com. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I think I've mentioned it like nine times out of ten in this conversation. Easy but yeah, shapehistory.com. I've been Robert Gershenson. I've been Mike Bonito. Yeah, not, not Bonito, but... Bonito. Uh, we'll shoot <laughs> you later. See you soon.